In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. To those who are in the arena, we We salute you. you. Guys, we honor you for getting it done in the stress bubble of life. So thank you for jumping into the arena with us today and listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. Guys, our goal of the Man Card Podcast is to call you into the arena, to call you out of the anonymous bleachers, and to call you up to the best version of yourself. I'm your host for today, Jim Ramos, and I'm here with the PhD of sound, Dr. Pat George. It's good How you to be buddy? back. Good to be in the house today. Good, good to yeah. have you, one, man. I have one observation, though. Dale's ugly. Daddy's looking pretty good today. He's dressed, dressed up <laughs> a little bit I'm not calling him daddy. Today. That's just wrong. <laughs> anyway, hey, speaking of daddy, I'm here with our producer, co-host, and my good friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful and amazing. And, uh, yeah. Don't ask me to call you daddy. I don't know why Pat's <laughs> calling you daddy. That's a man law violation at the utmost level. But, hey. You just called him daddy. He did. I said, I'm not calling you daddy. All I heard was daddy. <laughs> All I heard is I hate you. Anyway, hey, buddy. Do you got a man word for me today? Do I get to guess it based yeah, on our ahead. guest? Go ahead. Is it? Does it have to do with our guest today? Yes. Okay. I'm going to go with marriage uh marriage marriage <laughs> princess bride <laughs> that's impressive it. thank you no it's not i i was sitting here looking at the book like hey jim look restoration well i was at one time we did restore right so guess. i was like i can't do that but that that's would be true. perfect because the book restoring the fa- fallen so i was gonna go with this forgiver forgiver so oh. explain your man word what about uh, what we, about that man word i think it's word? For, it's easier to just say, forget you, I'm done, I'm walking away because you hurt me. But mm-hmm. for a man to step up and be the bigger man and say, you know what, I forgive you. I'm not going to let this uh, eat away at me. And uh, yeah, you might have wronged me, but I forgive you and we're going to move forward. And that brings yeah. healing to everybody involved. Yeah, two things about forgiveness that step out in my mind. Forgiveness is a process. It's more than words, right? It takes something over time. But, but 
for a man to be his best version, he really needs to be a forgiver because we are not made to carry around baggage. We're made to to walk in freedom and to uh, move freely. And uh, I just read a, a, a interesting in the Hebrew, <clears throat> the word for hardened, hardened. There's a, 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 a there's a, a, a there's a part in, in the Hebrew Bible that says, and he hardened his heart. That word literally means to make heavy. We're not made to carry a heavy load. We're made to carry a light load, and part of forgiveness is helping us to carry that light load. So that's really good, man. Thank you. That's a way to wing it and fling it and sound like you're actually prepared. So, hey, before we get into our guest this morning, I'm super pumped about our guest. Uh, Our guest, we have an interesting story with our guest and how I met this man. But first of all, guys, I want to tell you, if you have not gone on to our Facebook closed forum for men called The Men in the Arena, you need to do that right now. We've started that uh, group uh, two and a half months ago. We while are, you're in your car driving, while right you're now. in your car, do it right now. Pull over the side of the road and do it. Anyway, we have had a thousand guys a month join that group. Over a thousand guys a month, and it's an amazing forum for men to help each other become the best version of themselves. So help us build that army, guys. Also, guys, I want to let you know I finished my book, The Man Card: Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. Uh, we're doing a soft release. February 23rd and 24th at our first ever Man Card Weekend, which our guest is one of our speakers at that weekend. He's one of our presenters. And so and uh, so I'm super excited about that. So I was in Colorado about four years ago with uh, our vice president, Gary McCusker. He wanted to go visit one of his guys who was in a retirement community, showed up in the retirement community, and I met Earl and Sandy Wilson there. <clears throat> Needless to say, they are both from Oregon, live uh, nearby in Lake Oswego. And made a small connection with them, and then uh, over the years have just kind of sporadically interacted with them through phone calls and different things. But I'm really excited about Earl here today. Let me tell you a little bit about Earl, guys. He's 78 years old. He's been married to Sandy Wilson, of course, for the last 58 years, and it hasn't been all smooth, has it? It's been there's been some work involved. I made it pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. My choice has made it awfully rough. Yeah. So but, I, I, but you know, you guys have worked through that mostly, and they have a ministry for couples in crisis called Tough Stuff Ministries. Right. And it, the worse the marriage, the bigger crisis, the better these guys are. And I've actually referred people to them. He's a psych, retired psychologist after 50 years uh, as a professor and therapist. He's authored 12 books and three booklets. His most recent are Restoring the Fallen and Steering Clear. And actually, I just read Restoring the Fallen, and we want to talk about that book today because that book really okay. uh, impressed me and impacted me. Uh, Earl is passionate about teaching the Bible, enjoying time with his wife, Sandy, helping men in recovery, and rooting for the Oregon Ducks. Out of boy. <laughs> yes. Go Ducks. Go Ducks. So, anyway, so I, I like was, beavers, too. Do you? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course, because they're second place. But anyway, um, yeah, Somebody's I'm an underdog fan, so the beavers make me very happy. <laughs> so anyway, he's hey, he's a passionate about teaching the Bible and all these things I told you about. He's also passionate about his kids. Uh, they have five adult children, nine grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. And when I asked him what his uh, greatest accomplishments were, here's what he said. Allowing God to enable me to be restored after 10 wasted years of sexual addiction. Right. That's not what most guys say. That's what's true about me. Yeah. When you look back on this, and, and the, it's really interesting, Earl, because your book, I, you co-authored that book with the Friesens, and we used to do family camp at Campus by the Sea on Catalina Island, and that's where we met the Friesens. So so when I read this book, I was I was just uh, inspired by the you and Sandy and your story. 
knowing what you had told me, but I didn't know the book was about your story. So I'm excited to be a part of this uh, podcast today. So thank you so much for coming on. We went to the Friesens when I got into trouble because I had been the speaker at Family Camp at Catalina Island for a number of years. And of course, when my infidelity came out, that that speaking had to stop because it was it was a farce when you're living in sin yeah. and trying to uh, help people heal their marriage. I needed to take care of my own marriage first. Wow. Well, we're going to get into that in a second. I was at family camp in 2000, 2001, so I probably missed you because your uh, situation came to light in the early 90s, late 80s, correct? 89. Yeah. So, hey, but first what we're going to do, Earl, is we're going to loosen you up a little bit. So we're going to bring you into what we call our rapid fire round. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. So because you're a psychologist, I chose the word association round. So you got to deal that out all the for fifty years. Now it's my turn to deal it to you. So what we're going to do, Earl, is I've I've picked some phrases and themes from your book, and I and I've narrowed them into one word. And I'm going to ask you the word. I want to tell you what you think about that word or what comes to mind, and then why. Okay. All right. All right. I got five. I've got five words for you. You ready for this? Oh boy. Now yeah. you're, no, you're going to bring it. Here we go. Here we go. First word is marriage. Lasting. Okay. Why'd you Why'd you pick that word? Uh, just because after 58 years, you come to really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, not underappreciated as was part of my experience. Mm, that's really good, man. That's heavy. We tend to underappreciate things until we get brought into a crisis or, or something happens and it forces us to really appreciate. So, uh, number two, uh, the second word is a word that you taught me in Colorado. I'd never used this word before in referring to a certain situation, but you shared this with me and it's stuck with me for years now. And the word is, and I want you to explain what this means to you and, and, and why, betrayal. Well, betrayal is when someone who trusts in you is violated by your behavioral choices. Okay. Sandy trusted me to be there for her and I was not. Okay, that's, that's, that's awesome. Now this one here, we just filmed a video that will go onto our our free app for men called the Great Hunt for God app. We just filmed a video based on something I read in your book, and I, I it was kind of obscure. And actually, Virginia Friesen is the one who who coined this phrase. But the one word I'm going to give you is this: unswept. Unswept. That means there's issues that you aren't dealing with, and uh, there was a lot of things that I'd confess, but there was a whole lot of stuff that I was Totally covering up. Okay, that's that's good stuff, man. Number four kind of goes along with unswept, and that's the word. What, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word secrets? Secrets are what people keep in order to uh, continue in their lifestyle. They don't tell people things because they don't want anything to change. Mm. And they're and the word that comes to my mind with secrets is dangerous. <laughs> that is so good, man. Okay, fifth word. We're gonna we're gonna get a little turn it turn the corner here. Fifth word is the word restoration. Restoration is when things uh, get back to where they need to be okay. and where they should be. And I think that the word that the word that I associate with that is is change, deciding to go the other direction. 
And actually, that's the word, the biblical word for that is repentance. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, hey, you've hinted a lot uh, so far to our listeners about your story, but I want to give you five minutes here, and I want to just let let you unpack your personal story uh, with uh, our listeners and really the reason that you chose to wrote this amazing book called Restoring the Fallen, Fallen, a team approach to caring, confronting, and reconciling. So talk to us about your story, Earl. Give us about five minutes uh, and, and let us know what's going on there. Well, Restoring the Fallen was written by the team of people that worked with me after uh, I had uh, been caught in sexual infidelity. Uh, a person, a former client that I'd had an affair with reported me, which I'm glad she did. And uh, so then I had to make a choice then to either run. Montana sounded really good for a while. <laughs> it doesn't sound so good now, but it sure did then. I had, so I had to make a choice. I was either going to face it or I wasn't going to face it. And uh, Sandy was very helpful to me in the sense that she said, you'll face it or I'm not a part of your life. So I had to make some decisions about what I really wanted in life. And I there were three things that I decided that I wanted. I wanted my relationship with God. I wanted to be married to Sandy Wilson. And I wanted to find out what it meant to be a man of integrity because mm. I had talked about integrity for a long time but never lived it. So that meant that uh, if that was going to happen, some changes had to take place, and those changes had to start with me. Mm. And so we started thinking about, okay, who are the people that uh, we would trust to help that oversee that change process. And Paul and Virginia Friesen, who were directing Campus by the Sea in Catalina Island, are the ones that we went to. So I called them and we went to Catalina Island for three days and and I began to pour out my story reluctantly, mm -hmm. untruthfully at first. That's why Virginia asked me, uh, have you have you swept every corner? Because if you're going to clean a house, you have to sweep every corner. Yeah. And I lied to her, and I said yes. And, but uh, the next day, uh, God had shown me during the night that if I was going to uh, deal with this, I need to mm -hmm. have it all come out. Oh, and, that's good, man. And I, I'm, I'm looking at—I just did some simple math in my head. You are you were 53 years old at the time. Uh I was actually 50. 50, okay. And you'd been married 30 years at the time then? Yes. So you, here you are. You're a 50-year-old man. You're 30 years into marriage. So I'm a 52-year-old man. I'm 25 years into marriage. So this hits really close to home for me. I see a lot of guys, when they go through this betrayal or infidelity, a lot of these guys that I'm working with have been married 25 plus years they're in their 50s and 60s why why is it that they're vulnerable right there or is that they've been lying and betraying for so long it finally took two decades to get found out what's your what's your experience tell you well probably all of the above <laughs> but uh the reality is i think that for for many people uh around midlife you stop having the same kind of controls on yourself that you've had early on most people early on in their marriage, uh, people that grow up uh, saying, yes, uh, a life of uh, 
one man, one woman is, is what I want in life. I want a family. I mm-hmm. want uh, all these things that go along. And they really believe that, and they really practice that. And then they start uh, dabbling in stuff. Mm. Curiosity is a killer. And even though I was addicted to almost every form of pornography except Internet pornography, uh, still uh, the Internet makes it even harder for people to, to deal with it. So this is a key thing that we need to, to keep in mind. And there was a, a slippery slope. There was a slippery slope that I went on where I allowed myself to do more and more things. And interestingly enough, uh, the the duality became so strong. I was uh, I was faithfully teaching at my church and living a different life the rest of the of the week. And so you know the. <laughs> In the Bible, it says that a double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Mm-hmm. Call me Mr. Instability, well, because and the, that's where I was. It's interesting because it seems to me, in the experience I've had with men who have been uh, found out, and their secrets have come to light, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of embarrassment. There's a lot, lot of a public um, uh, guilt put on them. But these men seem to have a sense of relief, like they're thankful they got found out. Have you found that to be true? Were you thankful when you got found out, or there was a sense of relief, or what? What were your thoughts when all of this came to light? Well, at first I was petrified. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. after I got through that, and I began to realize that uh, my story was out there. Mm. It could even become. Uh, it could even hit the newspapers or whatever. It didn't, but, uh, but then I realized, okay, it's freeing to not have to keep secrets. It's oh, freeing good. to recognize that uh, that uh, I don't care if someone knows everything I did today. And so that, that was really a change because I'd work so hard checking my pockets, checking, you know, uh, people hide their cell phones, they, yeah. they do everything, but it was freeing. But what you have to realize is that what be may produce freedom for the man uh, may produce a tremendous burden for the wife because now all of his junk is plopped right on top of her. And that's, that's why we have tough stuff ministries is to help in that situation. And her children and the children. And the children. You said on page 10 of your book, you said this, and I think that this is going to, this is relating to what you're telling me. I was desperate to try and cover up and escape the inevitable pain about to engulf me. That's a powerful statement. So what described this inevitable pain that was about to engulf you? Well, recognizing that uh, my son, one of my sons, uh, would say to his mom, I don't know whether I can ever love dad again. And uh, That's hard. And then seeing... the changes in my relationship with my wife. And Paul and Virginia saying to me, uh, we want you to stop all writing and speaking. And that was a big thing because my identity was so tied up Mm -hmm. in what I was doing because I really believed that I was doing so much good for God that he'd overlook what I was 
was doing. That's a shameful place to be. And by having everything came out, come out, then I was able to experience some freedom from that. Yeah. But it it was uh, it was heavy, and it was really nice to be able to begin to say, okay, each day, and my. I'd pray each day, Lord. I need a little. Uh, I need a little bit of encouragement here, because uh-huh. I knew I wasn't getting encouragement from Sandy at that time. Yeah, because how how can she encourage me when she's dealing with her own broken heart and she's dealing with the broken hearts of our children? Mm-hmm. And so those are those are huge issues. So it was a it was a very very lonely time, but one that led to me being much less lonely than I was during the 10 wasted years. Oh, man. I love your phrase, the 10 wasted years. You know, as you're telling your story, hey, I'm doing all this good stuff, but then you've got this other stuff. In your book, you talk about visiting strip clubs, uh, pornography, which I'm assuming back then would have been buying magazines and videos possibly, and then not to mention the adultery. Do you think that men in general compartmentalize their their uh, sin in other words they're saying well I, I my sin is over here but it doesn't affect this other area do you think there's this disconnect between sin and integrity with men oh, I, that is the lack of integrity is the disconnect because you're you're uh, acting like a huge part of your life doesn't exist and when we start acting like a big part of our life doesn't exist <laughs> where are we we're spinning. Oh, that's that's really that's really important to hear that, man. Well, you know, when, when I met you in Colorado, you said something to me that shook me to the core. Now I've I've been faithful in life for twenty five years. I've never even we were talking about this the other day, I've never had uh, anything close to a physical relationship with a woman. But not to mention my other stuff that I work on. But here's the thing that hit me with you. You said when I met you you instantly started sharing your story. I don't know if you remember this, but you said to me, I was a betrayer. And that stuck with me. And here's why that stuck with me. Because we live in a world that says, I had an affair, or I committed adultery, or I'm a cheater. But that word betrayer, it really hits hard. And is that a word that you chose because it really shakes guys awake when they come into your office, or is, or or is it because it's it's really the power of what really happens to the person that you love the most on the planet, but the one you're hurting? Speak to me about this word. Well, there, there's two aspects to that. Uh, one of the conferences that we hold right now is called Betrayal Redeemed, and uh, once a year at uh, our church in Lake Oswego women gather for that Betrayal Redeem conference. And if you want to ask them what they feel and what the source of their feeling that way was, they'd say, my husband betrayed me. I trusted in him. I believed in him. I believed that he was keeping the vows that he's made to me, and he chose not to do that. And so uh, I found it much easier to tell it like it is to say yes i i betrayed you uh we i suppose the word comes up at our house every day not not in a uh condemning sort of way but just in a way this is the reality aren't we glad that god helped us to get through this and i'm not betraying you anymore 
And I think that this is what uh, this is what's important to get to a place where you realize the behavior has changed, and uh, therefore uh, I can say I was, but I can say that I'm doing everything I can. I'm not betraying you sexually, and I'm trying not to betray you in any other way. Oh man, I, I really appreciate the honesty there. There's a lot of power there. You know, in your book on page 29. You talked about, and this really was good for me to hear because I'd never thought about lying this way. You talked about lying by omission. And then later on in the book, in page 75, you said, secrets allow the person to perpetuate sinful patterns. And I've, what I've seen with men who have struggled and, or have betrayed and fallen is there's a lot of shame and guilt. And initially, they come to the table and they admit all this stuff, but they usually don't sweep all the corners and they usually continue in this lying by omission. Can you talk with our, 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 our men in the arena here about lies by omission and its effect on the foundation of the marriage? Well, I'll, gi- I'll give you an example. Uh, when someone says to you, how are you doing? Or how was your day? Say, that's fine. Uh, did you accomplish anything? Oh, yeah, worked really hard. Fact is, I worked so hard that I had time to go to two strip clubs. Oh, God. Oh, man. That's lying by omission, not saying what really happened. Yeah. And therefore, accepting what people say as, uh, well, sure, that's a safe thing for them to say to me. I can readily admit to that, but I'm not telling the rest of the story. Yeah, I didn't lie to you on purpose. I just didn't tell you everything. Yeah. Well, and that's Chuck Swindoll was famous for his 10 questions or something that he asked his men. And the last question was, did you just lie to me in all these answers? Yeah. And there's something like that. So, well, now further down in the book on page 100, you said this. You said, honesty is a foundational issue for marital restoration. And I would add, I would add even, if, even if there's no betrayal in a marriage, I would add for marital health, honesty is a foundation. So, but lies you said are the foundation of betrayal. So, talk us through this honesty versus lies and this foundational principle of marriage. Well, if you're not being truthful with someone, you you really don't have a basis for developing a relationship. You can do things together. You can uh, go through motions. You can even have dates, but there there isn't the connection. And I think the real connection in marriage comes about through eyeball-to-eyeball contact, and you don't have that if there's lies there. There's a tendency. In fact, is um, sometimes the women that attend our conference will say, I finally got my husband's eyes back. He's, he stopped lying to me, and now he can look at me. And I think that many men, that's a good evaluation they can do for themselves is uh, uh, how deeply can you look into your wife's eyes? Wow. I had a friend tell me years ago, he said, don't ever say something about another person that would cause you to not be able to look into their eyes. And so to have your wife's eyes back, that's a powerful illustration for men. We're visual, right? That's powerful, powerful. Now, you said also in your book, I've got a couple quotes here that really were powerful. One of them was, secrecy kills, only truth heals. Now, here's what I want to... You mentioned in your book two times you went to a, uh, uh, a guy who had spiritual oversight over you, a pastor, and you asked him what you should do. And I think a lot of times uh, guys will go to other men and say, hey, what should I do? In this particular situation, the pastor said, don't tell your wife the whole story. It'll be too damaging. 
you did not take that advice and you chose to tell her the whole story. What 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 was it about that situation that caused you to go against the counsel of a, a guy that you respected, I'm assuming, and to tell her the whole truth anyway? What led you down that path? Let's say that I haven't told her the whole story. And even after 30 years, uh, we pass a massage parlor and she says, have you ever been to one of those? All of a sudden, we're right back where we were. I'm going to, if I choose not to say yes, and what I was able to do because of that, when she would ask that occasionally, I'd say not that one, but shamefully, I've been to them. And I think that way, uh, she had a basis for for knowing that what what she was seeing is what she was getting and the, the reality of that so oh man that's well you know we got such a wide range of people listening to this podcast right now you know you you're looking hindsight on your relationship and sharing us the blood and guts of this betrayal what are some things what are some guardrails that you have put in place in your marriage since then to protect you against uh, massage parlor, strip clubs, uh, pornography, uh, other women. Uh, are, I'm sure that you've implemented some things into your life that have helped you to live a faithful life since that day, which has been over over 25 years ago now. Yeah. Well, for one thing, I uh, one of the guardrails is that uh, for uh, all that time, I've maintained an accountability relationship, and one of the authors, co-authors of the book, Larry Paulson, has looked me in the eye on a regular basis and asked the hard questions, and I think that's been important. And uh, he he can probably look at me and tell instantly if I was lying to him because he knows me so well. And the other thing that's helped me a lot is I've I've been honest about things with people. Uh, Let me give you an example. One of my passions uh, in my uh, life as far as entertainment is involvement with with, uh, amateur, not not high school wrestling. Okay. And I worked with a program for lots of years. One time at the state tournament, one of the young coaches said to me, we got time before the... uh, finals are on uh, you want to go to lunch with me and I said well I want to go to lunch with you but I said I'm a sexual addict and I know that you go to uh, strip clubs for lunch and I said so if you want to go to a strip club go without me and I'll join you afterwards because it's not healthy for me to be there and he says oh heck I can do that anytime A strip club for lunch. See, I'm. I, I can honestly say I didn't even know they served meals there. Yep. They serve meals there. Okay, I've I've never been in one, so that's really interesting. I'm not recommending. No, it. trust me, I'm, I'd probably be distracted. But um, here's my question for you, Earl. You said something, and I I want to I want you to finish the statement because this right here is my accountability partner, and then this guy here he just calls me out on everything. So I've got two okay. guys here that they've got my back. You've got they, half be, a they better have my back. Because if not, my wife will be on my back. <laughs> but here's the question for you: What are the hard questions? I mean, I mean, if we're on our Tuesday meetings, 
what should we be asking each other to make sure that we stay on the straight and narrow? Our guys need to know this because because we tend to say, well, hey, did you see the Super Bowl this Sunday or did you see the State of the Union address or did you see that thing or hear about that? But we don't really dive deep. What are those deep, hard-hitting, punch-you-in-the-face questions that, that Larry asked you? Well, I think one, one of the questions was just had to do with uh, with are you sexualizing women? When you look at a waitress coming your way, do you hope she bends over so you can see her cleavage? Oh. Or are you looking her as, at her as a, a person, someone oh. that, uh, you know, and are you, are you watching things on television that uh, are you watching for the purpose of sexual stimulation? So I think that the questions that, about... Uh, are you seeking sexual stimulation outside of your relationship with your wife is a, is a key theme. Then, then there are lots of little questions that come off of that. But, but to me, that's, that's really important that, uh, uh, you know, we, we think about, I only have eyes for you. Uh, that's, that's a good place to be. That's a good thing to be able to say to your wife yeah. because she's going to say, I like you too. But I sure didn't like you when you had eyes for other people. Wow. Hey, we're going to take just a brief second, Earl. Man, I appreciate this so much. We're going to hear a word from the sponsor of this podcast. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We aren't in this to make money, guys, but we are passionate about making a difference. The war is epic. Every battle matters, and every man in the arena matters. Join our fight to change the world with every man who gets in the arena, picks up his sword, and starts to fight. Do this by joining our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum with men from literally around the world. If this podcast has helped you get out of the bleachers and into the arena, then go to our website under gear. Pick up the field guide, my bathroom book for men with 365 daily readings about what a man is and does using famous quotes and epic stories. Guys, you're going to love this book. Pick it up today. This year will be our first ever Man Card Men's Weekend with the men in the arena. If you're interested in hosting a Man Card Weekend in your city, contact us for available dates. Also, guys... Thank you again for jumping into the arena and championing the greatest battle of our time, the fight to change your world one man at a time. So I want to come back, Earl, and I want to um, talk to you about something because you, I think, I mean, I don't know about you, Pat, but this hit me between the eyes. What you're talking about with the deep and hard questions is you're talking about not action. You're talking about motivation. You're saying when that cute, Girl, in the, we, we meet in a coffee shop. When that cute girl walks in the coffee shop, are you hoping she bends over? Are you waiting for her to turn around in those yoga pants? In your heart of hearts, are you are you motivated by uh, objectification? Yeah, I think that's that's the key issue because if if the person that's holding you accountable doesn't get down to the level of motivation, uh, you can. S- you know, you can lie about the other things and and maybe squeak by on it, but uh, it hurts. So but- I can be. No, I'm just. I'm. I mean, I'm engaging here. I'm engaged here. So let's talk about me personally, right? Me personally. I've been faithful to my wife for 25 years, and I have struggled with lust and continually struggle in that area. I mean, it's. I would say it's a guy thing, but I mean, I deal with that regularly, right? So for me to 
come and meet with Pat as an accountability partner. And he says, have you looked at things that were sexual in nature this week? And I say, no. And I'm being honest. But if he were to say, did you have a situation where you were hoping it would turn into a look or a view? Or did you watch something on the TV with the intention of seeing something sexual? That's a whole different level. Yes. Wow. Okay. No, I, I think never thought of that. Did you? No, I think that's good. It breaks it down into a even into a more uh, d- a deeper area. So I think that's good. good and the more willing you're, the will more willing you are to go to that depth with Pat, the the greater the probability that you will continue on the a good lifestyle path that's going to allow you to enjoy your wife for the rest of your life. Man, that's really good. I've never. You know what, Earl? I've never thought about that. You know, we've joked before, like, hey, three in the key. You know, somebody walks by, you got three seconds, you know, three in the key. But you're saying no, because the motivation behind that is I'm going to enjoy that and objectify that person for three seconds, and I'm out. And so you're you're going to a whole deeper level here. So that's – go ahead. You've got something well, to say choosing, here. Well, choosing to look at is different than seeing. Okay, help me well, – talk me well, through this. This is getting real, you, guys. You can't help but see – things that are sexually stimulating. But after you see them, then what do you do with them? Do you uh. do you choose to move away from that? Do you choose to uh, look at that? Do you choose to store that up so you can masturbate later on? Oh, yeah. These are, these are issues That's that, getting real. that I think are... That's good, man. I, well, I mean, I mean, I just, in my life, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, really... That that right there helps me personally as a man, and I feel like I'm doing well, but the linger. Yeah, and I like it because it, what you're saying, as this all builds up over time, you're going to the cause of the cause of the cause by breaking it down into those deeper deeper levels. That, uh, that's so good. Well, because, I mean, our goal, my goal as a man, Pat, D- Dale, Errol, our goal is to be the best version of the man we've been created to be, right? And that I think the last battlefield is right here. Mm-hmm. And right here is making sure the mind isn't seeing things it shouldn't see and the heart is rejecting the things so that we can have a pure life given only talking about sexual stuff right now to give my whole life to my wife. Oh, that's really good, Earl, man. I really appreciate that. So I, I've got a question for you, man. On page 22 of your book, you said something that really intrigued me. You said restoration is neither is neither is neither nor is neither nor automatic. I think I messed up there. Uh, it requires deliberate involvement. Now, to me, one of the things that we tell guys involved in our arena is that confession is manly. Mm-hmm. Now, I grew up going to Catholic church. Where we had to go in and see a priest and confess to a priest. Uh, Martin Luther during the <clears throat> during the Reformation is it the Reformation said, "No, you no longer go to priests. You go to God." Blah 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 blah. And I think somewhere along the, along the line. We have lost the art of confession, thinking that's a thing between you know me and some other higher power or something. But I know with Pat and I know with Dale, I think in our relationships, confession is manly. Not only is it manly, but it's required. And you quoted Kemp in Physicians of the Soul that he recommended public confession even. So I know that you're a big fan of confession. Where does confession fit into your daily routine? I think it, it stems from honesty. In other words, if you're uh, confessing just for the sake of confession, 
doesn't necessarily accomplish anything. But if confession is tied with with honesty, to where uh, if someone says, "What what was your biggest struggle today?" Uh, I need to not say, "Oh, it was a good day." Uh, I need to actually be willing to say what my biggest struggle was, and I think that uh, that that's a, a key thing. Uh, Confession is, for me, is is making sure that I own the realities of my life. Say that again. That's good. Making sure that I own the realities of my life and that I'm actually uh, what I say I am. That the man that you claim to be in public is the man that you actually are. Yeah. Right. D.L. Moody said, who, the, who you are in the dark. That that man. Exactly. That's, man, that's really good. Now, now the Greek word here. Your book is restoring the fallen. The Greek word you alluded to means two things in the Greek language. It means to uh, set a broken bone, and it also can mean to mend a bro uh, a, a torn net. So to mend something torn or to set something that's broken. Uh, but the problem in my thinking here is to restore implies that there can be immediate or not immediate, but definite and uh, permanent healing. But when you talk to your counselor, I want to say MacGyver was his name, but I don't think that's it is. right. Is it MacGyver? What a great name. And you asked him when the process would end. He said never. So can you explain to me? I, I know what you guys are talking about here. I just want you to explain it. Can you explain the tension between experiencing restoration forever and ongoing restoration? Well, I think... I think restoration is forever, but I think it's ongoing. And when Dr. McIver said to me, it's never over, he was trying to deal with the fact that I wanted to escape the negative feelings without changing any behavior. And he's saying, that won't happen. And I can tell you, I'm still dealing with things after almost 30 years I'm still learning new things today, still realizing things about myself and the, the depth of my sexual addiction. I was fishing in, a, in uh, British Columbia with a friend, and we uh, came a, across a, a gray whale, and they were doing their thing, and the gray whale flipped its tail. And in my mind, that sent me back to a whale-watching boat in, on Maui in which a woman changed her clothes in front of me, and I saw her breasts. And when I saw that uh, fish's tail, I had to deal with that. And wow. I, I told my wife when I got home, I said, I can't believe this, that that experience in Maui. And she said, well, I knew they weren't very discreet, but I didn't know how much you'd seen. <laughs> but I think that's what I'm saying is the, the ongoing process and the more honest, the more I can uh, can talk with the people that are uh, inputting into my life, the more they can ask the right questions and be helpful to me, and also be praying for me. So, well, now, now in this, in your personal story of betrayal, I'm not putting one ounce of culpability on Sandy, so I don't want you hearing me say that. I have a question though about men in general. What can a wife do, and what questions can a wife ask a man 
in their marriage. So this man is a man who's, you know, let's say been faithful, but what's the role of the wife in helping her husband walk in purity and faithfulness? I'm not talking about betrayal here. I'm talking about just an everyday marriage. What what role can a wife take in asking the right questions or or uh, protecting her man? Is there a role? I think the, the role that the wife has is to be honest. And women are as dishonest as men are hmm. in terms of they'll say, oh, Oh, honey, things are okay, and they're not okay. She hasn't liked the way you've looked at her or touched her for a long time, or she hasn't liked the fact that you've wanted her to do things that she's uncomfortable with, And but she won't tell you for fear of rocking the boat. And uh, I can tell you that uh, after my betrayal came out, Sandy's and my relationship became much more honest. And oh, she's yeah. helped me a lot by saying, uh, you can uh, look at porn if you want to, but if you do it in my house, this isn't your house anymore. And that was extremely helpful. Tough to stuff, me. ministries, baby. Yeah, that's that's tough stuff. So here's he prompted a question here. So what's the role? So what is the role of sex in marriage? Is there a relationship between the couple and their sexual relationship and the health of that couple? Have you found that, or is that something mutually exclusive? from uh, a man's betrayal. And I'm talking about I'm talking about in everyday marriage. Is there a correlation between health and marriage and sexual health? Well, I think that having having a good sexual relationship within your marriage uh makes the marriage better. And but what happens when a person becomes involved in in fantasy sexuality is they try to bring fantasy sexuality into the bedroom and that oftentimes destroys the relationship that they have with their wife because uh, she knows that that she's had two children and her body doesn't look like it used to. And so yeah. some man's trying to make her look like an airbrushed 25-year-old. And yeah. she wants no part of that. She wants to be loved. And yeah, she yeah. wants uh, touch, not just sexual touch, but she wants a contact there that's that's ongoing. Well, I know with Shanna, my that's my wife's name. You know, she's a forty-eight-year-old beautiful woman, but she's all natural, and she's had three kids. And there's a constant reminder: you're beautiful. That aging, beautiful body that is mine, right? right? I knew to affirm that beauty in her. And then she told me I need to feed her fish tacos, also. Oh. But here's my question for you: so you talked about fantasy. Now, I wrote this down before you mentioned that, but you brought something up because I uh, lived uh, 23 years of my life uh, before my wife, and there was there was some other stuff going on with other, other people, right? And what I tell guys now is I say, hey, guys, listen, life is more serious than you think. The decisions that you made as a young and wild and free 15 to 23-year-old, those decisions Will will you'll deal with those the rest of your life? And I'm talking about fantasy life uh, that that w- that was something that played out in real life experience. You know, I'm talking about uh, expectations. I'm talking about these types of things. Did your younger days play into this uh, this a uh, later betrayal? I, I'm sure it did. Uh, it's I'm still sorting out some of the ways that that happened. I think that sometimes. Uh, Early years and early experiences uh, with with uh, the opposite sex uh, create a, a set of expectations or belief about yourself. 
And I believed that no one would ever want me sexually. Hmm. And when I married Sandy, she definitely wanted me sexually. And that was fine for a while. But somewhere I think it crept in. Uh, what about other sexual experiences? Mm. And if someone then says, I want you sexually, or if many people say, uh, wow, you'd be a good sexual partner, that can mess your head up real fast because we get we get greedy then and we get focusing on the experience. Uh, intimacy is much more than ejaculation. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to make sure that that... Uh, doesn't creep in, and uh, being able to talk about your needs freely with your wife and to get down to what you really want uh, and what uh, she really wants. Uh, unfortunately, I've when I was counseling people, I worked with many couples who thought that bringing uh, more eroticism to their relationship would cure uh, is sexual addiction. The, the, the answer isn't in more eroticism. The answer is, is in more emotional intimacy. Mm. And I personally believe that the more emotionally intimate you are with a woman, the less you're going to need Viagra. <laughs> Preach it. Well, you know what's interesting, Earl? I've been married to the same woman. I have not since 1989. She's the only woman I've ever touched kissed anything and i have found that as we have grown in life together that part of our relationship has gotten better and better and better but it's got it's become different her body as she ages she goes through uh you know the menopausal pre-men all that stuff my body is changing it's changing but that intimacy continues to grow and be enhanced because there's a love attached to that and so i think that's really 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 important so what are you laughing about culver Nothing. Come on now. Nothing. Okay. Just, we could do just a whole working new, over here. We could do a whole nother podcast on rebuilding trust. No, there's so much it, here that you're well that that brings me to another question here. Because we're spending a lot of time dealing with a lot of the some of the negativity. But I wanna I wanna I wanna walk in, I wanna go off of something that uh, Dr. MacGyver said to you. He told you this men stand tall in truth. And you did that. And you fought and you fought and you fought. And you you, you shared something on page 102 of your book that I thought was so good. I thought this is what our guys need to know. No matter where they are in their marriage, this is important. You talked about love gifts. Mm-hmm. So I want you to explain to our lead, our listeners what those were and then what you're doing today to continue to enhance your intimacy with Sandy with these love gifts. Well, uh, she asked me, at the time that I began counseling, and she asked me uh, to show her or give her something every day to show her that I loved and thought about her. And um, at this time, she really didn't have any feelings for me Mm -hmm. because in this process of restoration, there was two and a half years that she really had no, uh, certainly no romantic feelings for me. so she asked me if I would uh, give her some kind of love gift, even if it was on a yellow tablet yeah. or a card or a flower or something. And so uh, she went to, with me to see Dr. McIver, and he said, uh, well, uh, how would you do this week? He said this to me, and I said, good. I gave her four love gifts out of seven. 
and uh, fail. He said to Sandy, he said, how did that make you feel? And she said, I don't know for sure what she said, but sick at my stomach. <laughs> wasn't good. Yeah, it wasn't good. And you see, I thought I'd done really good. Yeah. And being the narcissist that I am, I wanted someone to stroke my back for, for making an attempt. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't miss another day for four years. Except one that, well, there were a couple in that uh, process that I had to call my daughters and say, will you go buy your wife some, or my, your mother, my wife, some flowers. And uh, the one day, one of the days that I failed, she said, I made a choice today. And I said, what's that? And she said, well, instead of sitting here and feeling sorry for myself all day, I called a florist today. And I said, you did? And she said, yeah. And I ordered a dozen roses sent to this address. And and he said, uh, and who are you? And she says, I'm Sandy Wilson. And he said, uh, and who are these flowers for? And she said, Sandy Wilson. And uh, that a bouquet of flowers was $75. That was a good lesson. You didn't for forget after that, did you? Because I'm a tightwad. <laughs> Those uh, Trader Joe's bouquets for $7.99 yeah. are sounding pretty good right now, huh? <laughs> well, you know, there's a book that came out, Love Dare, and I think it was 40 Days of Doing Stuff for your for your wife. I think that's really important to to these and these love gifts can be cheap things. It can be a post-it note on a refrigerator. It can sure. be a kiss under a pillow, you know, like a Hershey's kiss. If I can get to them before I eat them all. It can yeah. be a lot of different things, but I think this is so good because a lot of our guys, the propensity of a man once he's conquered or or got the ring on her finger is to sit back and go, what's the next hill to conquer? And he forgets his wife needs to be pursued. All of their marriage. He needs to per- continue to pursue her with these love gifts and these little reminders of his love for her. And I think that's so important. Or I-, I appreciate that so much. Hey, we're running short on time, but I want I want to give you I want you to have a chance to offer our men in the arena hope. So Earl, I want to say this to you. You were a betrayer. You wrote that in your book. Your book is about that. You were embarrassed and you were ashamed and you had a long road ahead. And for a season your reputation was damaged. But years later, you used your betrayal story as a means to bring healing to hundreds and thousands of couples in crisis. Will you offer those who are listening today who are struggling in their marriage, will you offer a word of hope to these guys? Because you you hit about as low as it can get from your book. Mm-hmm. But but you've risen above the through the ashes and you've you've built a glorious, beautiful marriage of fifty-eight years through all of your hard work. You've you've taken your story and you've turned it around to impact the lives of myriad of, of couples. So can you give these guys who might be right in the middle of where you were in eighty nine, can you give our men some hope this morning? I think the main thing is the words of hope I'd give are it's possible, so don't Give, don't back off from it mm. and really decide what you want and work every day towards that and enjoy the process see the see the progress that's made deal with the uh, the lack of progress and and get some help get some input from people who've who've walked that walk and are willing to uh, to help you and uh, don't shut your spouse up encourage your spouse to keep talking and keep telling you what what you can do better 
Now, I think it's always more helpful to tell people what they're doing right than it is to tell them what they're doing wrong. So I think if you're if you're working with a, another man to try to help him, tell him what he's doing right. He knows what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, we don't want to continue doing things that don't work, but we want to continue moving in the direction. And, uh, you know, I prayed every day for a little encouragement, and I prayed every day that I uh, wouldn't become grumpy or, or uh, scaly like a fish in this whole process, mm. but would continue to, uh, to work on it. That's so good, man. I, I, Earl, thank you so much for coming on our podcast, uh, sharing not only your wisdom, but your painful experiences, and then the redemption, the restoration on the other end. I think you've just brought so much to the table today. Thank you so much. So uh, Restoring the Fallen, uh, best place to get this book, Amazon, or do you have a website that you can visit? Hey, uh, we have a website. It's it's uh, toughstuffministries.com. And... Uh, we can you can order it there. You can order it from on Amazon. You can order it from University Press, or we have a a stash in our house that we would sell, <laughs> along with a book that's not in print anymore called Steering Clear. Okay, and if if we're uh, struggling in our marriages, we can get a hold of you through Tough Stuff Ministries. Correct, man. I appreciate. Hey guys, listen. We are not just talking about betrayal here. We are talking about marriage, the blood and guts and sweat and tears of building a healthy marriage and loving your wife, man. She should be the most important person on your planet. So, guys, man, in your marriage, get in the arena, guys. Hey, guys, you've been listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, helping us transform the lives of men and those they love and to help them become the best version of themselves. It's as easy as one, two, three. In Spanish, that is... Uno, dos, tres. Yes. Follow us, number one, by subscribing and sharing the Man Card Podcast. Number two, join the Men in Arena Closed Facebook Forum for Men. Number three, invest in our resources to become the best version of you men. Join us and build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it, Everyone, Everyone wins. wins. Join the Men in the Arena Closed Facebook Forum for Men. It's the best free resource out there to help you to display yourself this world as the best for yourself. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. Be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of our popular field guide, A Bathroom Book for Men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your own copy at mancardpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man.
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.